Hello, I am Cris Ferraz Prade, and this is the Vital Compass podcast. I started studying about burnout syndrome around 15 years ago when I noticed some symptoms of emotional exhaustion in me. It was when I worked in a hospital in Brazil with very seriously ill patients and I had had my first child. So when I was back from maternity leave, I reduced the number of hours a little um, because I wanted to spend more time with my baby. Months passed by, and at the time I realized that the experience of seeing the beginning of a life with the intensity of motherhood touched me deeply. So, after um, some months, I was experiencing some signs of secondary traumatic stress, which is different than burnout syndrome because it's related to the impact one feels in witnessing suffering and trauma in a person. The reason why it's also known as compassion fatigue. I have to say, I don't think this is the right name for it. Um, I, I think the best name for it would be empathy fatigue, but this is another subject. So. Um, well, at the time, my routine was to go to work and also to do my own therapy and to enjoy my life with my family. So everything was great. I loved my job. I loved my family. I loved being a mother. But some symptoms um, of this um, secondary traumatic stress was bothering me. And also to what what um, another thing was um, bothering me that was when when I showed some signs of my emotional exhaustion at work, um, it was perceived by some as lack of professional preparation. So there is a big difference between studying about grief and psychological processes related to it and going through experiences of suffering, loss, grief and bereavement with patients and families. Because we are not robots. So what is burnout syndrome? Herbert uh, Freudenberger coined the term in the 1970s and he defined it as a state of physical and mental exhaustion whose cause is closely linked to professional life. There are some differences between burnout and compassion fatigue or secondary traumatic stress. The well, secondary traumatic stress can happen suddenly. It is a stress resulting from wanting to help or from helping others who are going through a lot of pain, um, traumatic situations, suffering. So it is, it is easier to treat also. Burnout, on the other hand, happens in months and years. The person starts to lose the capacity to see value in the work that's done. An emotional exhaustion um, impedes the person to connect with the job. It is also common to see attitudes of cynicism and sarcasm. 
the syndrome can affect professionals in any area. And the central aspect is the question of um, work being a source of suffering for whatever reason, not necessarily from witnessing pain and grief. This is a syndrome resulting from chronic stress in the workplace that has not been successfully managed. So, as I said, we are not robots, so personal life has an impact on professional life and vice versa. The question that differentiates burnout from depression, for example, is that, uh, as I said, in burnout, the work is the source of suffering. So, in my case, more than 15 years ago, when I felt some symptoms of secondary traumatic stress, it was very painful for me to deal with the high demand of critically ill patients and grieving families, and also to realize that I had my own grief when patients with whom I had a longer bond died. At the time, what helped me a lot, aside from my own therapy, was to have friends at work with whom I could count on, friends who listened to me. And gradually, I understood better how to deal with these dynamics, and I understood the importance of self-care. A little later, I read a book by the Brazilian psychologist Gabriela Casalato about unrecognized grief. In Portuguese, it's called Dor Silenciosa ou Dor Silenciada, which I would translate as quiet grief or silenced grief. I started to understand how this contributed to my um, emotional exhaustion in some way. And little by little, I was identifying and dealing with my work-related suffering. A fundamental part of this process was letting me be cared for and open up spaces for my own self-care. Um, I was discovering ways of taking care of myself and also ways of letting people, like letting my family take care of me. I realized that there was a sadness in witnessing the suffering that needed to be validated in me. I needed to, to acknowledge that. So I could also integrate the gratitude that was a, a, a great part of this experience. Being together with the patients in this process of finding strength, nurturing uh, hope, and creating courage um, are the most precious lessons for me. To face death was a daily lesson that helped me to live better, and I could also um, validate that. I was reviewing concepts about dying, sickness, grief, and bereavement, things that I read in books, but the patients, oh, they could teach me so much better about coping, creating meaning, um, being hopeful. I realized that it was very important that I nurtured my joy, that I worked on my compassion, because no patient should have our pity. And if I were not able to see courage in their eyes and space for, for, for meaning, for love and joy, I was not going to do my work properly. In psychology, um, we, we have the technical aspects of our work, but there is also 
um, a lot of understanding in terms of ourselves and how our interactions, our feelings, emotions, our values, our own history impacts on our job. So um, I had to to observe, to be aware of my feelings when I was, um, for instance, in the ICU caring for an old lady um, who was passionate about her singing. Um, so the philosopher um, Gilles Deleuze, a French philosopher, he said, Joy, therefore, is resistance, because it does not yield. Joy is a power of life takes us to places where sadness would never take us. In general, when someone says like, oh, I work in palliative care, there is this expectation that the person, oh, is a sufferer, oh, poor thing, uh, how do you take it? <laughs> and um, I have already thought about this question a lot because some people pose it to me and uh, why do I keep choosing to work with patients and families who are facing a serious illness? There is certainly something important for me in it. There's something of great value. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for me. In a way, it helps me to work my own death anxiety, and it helps me to put life into perspective. Death asks for life to happen. We understand that now is the most expensive product in the shelf of life. While there's no such perception, we wait for the right time to be happy, the right life to happen. We spend energy with feelings and attitudes that um, are always postponing life. Not because we want to, of course not but often because we are tied up in a toxic dynamic and we don't know how to do differently. Cultivating loving kindness and joy strengthens us to cope with living times of sadness and times of mourning and grief. And I'm going to make an alert here because I'm not romanticizing the work with sickness and death. The work in palliative care is not a sea of roses, as we say in Portuguese. But nothing is life is only roses, right? In this pandemic moment, um, I can only imagine the exhaustion of everyone who is working in the front line. Not only because of the long hours of work and the stress of being in a COVID award, um, being wearing all this protective gear and having to be very careful about it, um, being away from family and loving ones and for, for a long time, for long periods. Um, but also because I know that they are witnessing scenes of great sadness on a daily basis, scenes that can generate traumatic experiences. And I'm not even uh, counting here situations of um, the risk for harassment and, and moral stress, 
such as uh, threats and humiliations, and also having, depending on the situation, for instance, in Brazil, in hospitals that were lacking uh, proper equipments, um, healthcare professionals would have to choose which patient would go into mechanical ventilation. And the impact of all of that, we still don't know what it is. Um, during this uh, periods of um, higher uh, rates of cases and deaths, it's time for action. It's time to work, to, you know, just go to work. And, and some professionals are living in the automatic pilot, just doing what's needed, trying to cope in the best way, because the next day you have to be in the hospital and you have to take care of these people. And and that's what it is. So, um Usually, we forget to set uh, a, a brief moment for self-care. Um, so, if you can take a moment, as short as it can be, in whatever way you can, to look at yourself with kindness and to allow you to be cared for by someone you love, that can make a big difference. When I was working in Brazil uh, at Casa do Cuidar, we created a program called Care for the Caregiver. And it was dedicated to alert healthcare professionals to care for themselves. And the result was two books um, about this theme and five years of the program happening in different cities in Brazil. And still happens. It happens in the advanced palliative care courses every year. And recently, it was happening online. It's, it might happen a couple more times, um, but it was happening online for healthcare professionals who were volunteers uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so I, I send my loving energy, my loving vibes to healthcare professionals from all over the world my gratitude for your presence and your care throughout these months. And if you need help, don't be silent. Say it. Look for people who support you um, and ask for guidance, ask to be cared for. The caregiver deserves care, and now perhaps more than ever. There is a verse uh, in a poem by Rilke that always takes care of me. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses, the meaning discover there. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow, to the rushing waters speak, I am. So this is the last episode of the season. We will take a short break, but there will be new explore posts on the website, so go check it out. 
The next season will bring great episodes on spirituality. I had a lovely conversation with Plinio Cotaichi, who is a Reiki master, and Roberto Miguel, who is a chaplain. We talked for hours and the result was so beautiful that I could not edit it and remove big chunks of it. I had to 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 use all of it. So I created different episodes um, about the themes in the spirituality that we talked about. And also there will be special stories on the challenges of immigration. I hope you liked this episode. Ale Praj composed the music and is responsible for the editing. Before I say goodbye, I invite you to follow Vita Compass on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is just a click. And when you have some time, go check the website www.vitacompass.com. You can create a login and follow closely the posts on Explore and also the podcast episodes fresh from the oven. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make a review here. You can help others find the podcast and we can expand our circle of conversations. I'll see you next week. Take good care of yourself.